So we're continuing our CSA retreat. This is Wednesday. And uh, a few words about our Kriya Yoga process. Once again, uh, Kriya Yoga was introduced. Actually, the, the innovation for Kriya Yoga began with Shyamacharan Lahiri, who was later called Lahiri Mahashaya, Kashi Baba, Lahiri Baba. So these different names were applied to him. And he had met uh, a renunciate yogi up in the Himalayan foothills near Raniket named Babaji. And we don't have any more information about Babaji except that um, he would uh, roam from one place to another in the Himalayan foothills. And this is where Shyamacharan Lahiri met him and was instructed in the techniques, the procedures that these renunciate yogis, that these intense, intense disciplines that these renunciate yogis would use uh, in their caves and in their sadhana, their uh, self, uh, self-awakening processes. And so, um, so Lahiri Baba learned these from Babaji and then was able to adapt them so that they could be used by householders so that so that everyone could take advantage of the most the essential aspects of these processes and procedures uh, without having to leave the family and the business and and go away for years and live in caves so so it was quite a gift quite an innovation and lahiri mahashaya was a was a great teacher and educator and so he was able to really adapt these procedures and these processes to make them useful for us. And he would adapt and teach each individual that came to him in a way that was appropriate for that individual. So there wasn't one set routine, but rather if he had someone who was very devotional, he would give them uh, techniques and processes that they could use of of a more devotional nature. And for individuals who were more uh, intellectual jnana types uh, for them he would give other procedures and teach them other um, meditation techniques and processes and for karma yogis for those who were selflessly serving and working in the world he he had other techniques and processes and then as individuals would uh, develop as they would evolve as they would develop in consciousness then he would continue to teach them and coach them and give them additional techniques and procedures as they as they grew spiritually. And so, in this way, um, he developed quite a uh, quite a uh, set of different techniques and disciplines and meditation procedures. And uh, he he would say that he was teaching atma kriyas. Now, kriya means action something to do so so kriyas are things that we do procedures processes that we engage in and atma is the the god within is the soul within is this essence of our being atman and so so he he would say i worship atman on the altar of the spine i wish worship uh, prana on the altar of the spine. This prana is life force. This is the, the energy which is subtle that comes into the system and 
moves down through the spine, through the, the pathways, the nadis in the spine, and then through the chakras out are distributed and this uh, prana, this life force goes out and takes care of different functions in the body. And so, so Lahiri would say, I worship prana on the altar of the spine. And he, he actually had a little, uh, a little chant, a little song in Bengali that he would sing. Um, started off Amar, Pushar, Shristi, Charan. So he would sing this as he was going on the way to, uh, to the Ganges in the morning to do his bath and his ablutions. And, and his little song basically says, I don't need Ganga water. I don't need procedures. I don't need flowers. I don't go to temples. I don't worship at idols. I don't have to do anything on the outside. My worship is completely in here. I'm worshiping prana, life force, energy on the altar of the spine. And so our Kriya process, our Kriya procedure is very heavily related to this prana, this life force, this energy as it moves through the spinal pathways. And in the process of moving and working with this energy, we find that our, that our subtle uh, physiology is purified, transformed. It's said that the material part, the nervous system, is actually transformed in this process. And uh, we know that as we uh, engage, as we do anything, um, we change the way our brain is wired. So our nerve, brain and nervous system, it's all one, the brain is really the whole thing. So, um, so as we learn to play the piano and we learn to wiggle our fingers in the right way, the aspects, the parts of our brain that are responsible for manual dexterity grow. They make more connections. The connections get stronger and uh, the brain uh, develops the ability to automatically do things that we originally have to work at. So we work at practicing and eventually in time, the practice is transformed. The brain creates a little app for that. So it's automatic. We don't have to use any extra resources to think about it. It just happens. So in the same way, we learn to tie our shoes. And in the beginning, it's a little clunky and we have to figure it out and, you know, um, make sure the strings get right and that the knot holds. But eventually, over time, we forget even to think about it. We just tie our shoes. It's done. And there is no requirement because the brain has rewired itself. The nervous system has changed itself to accommodate what we need to do on a routine basis. And so as we meditate and as we work with this internal energy, this subtle energy, we transform the mind and the nervous system and the brain. We transform this so that it accommodates consciousness in a better way. So our consciousness awareness moves through this mind-brain complex, mind-brain-body complex. It moves through this to express on this level. And so as we purify the mind-brain nervous system body, as we purify this through our practice, it becomes easier for greater levels of prana, of life force to flow through us and for them to flow through without impediment, to move without being impeded and to express freely.
And so our Kriya Yoga process is all about uh, helping to uh, bring the mind into a condition of tranquility. And this condition of tranquility is a way of rewiring the mind brain so that it is not jangly and it's not anxious and it's not reacting and it's not constantly um, so heavily identified with the environment and the character that it that it remains distracted and fragmented and blurred. So as we refine the mind, brain, nervous system, we are able to focus attention, to keep our attention flowing to what it is that we want to flow it to, to not be distracted, and to not be upset, to remain anchored, grounded, dispassionate, so that we are in charge of ourself with the capital S, and so that we have this amazing vehicle that we can operate through in order to have the, the best life that we can possibly have. And so, so this process uh, works on two levels. It helps to refine and, and to uh, enhance and to clarify the nervous system. And also on a subtle level, it helps to refine and enhance the subtle nervous system, the nadis, the ida and the pingula and the shushumna, the central pathway, and in the process uh, optimizes our vehicle, optimizes our, our, uh, our vehicles. So it is said in our subtle spiritual anatomy that we have um, several layers of expression. <coughs> expression. Uh, the first being the anamaya kosha. Kosha means vehicle, layer, and ana is food. So the anamaya kosha is the food layer, the most basic, the gross, the densest, the material. And then we have the pranamaya kosha, which is prana is energy, life force. So we have a, a subtle vehicle that is the support, the blueprint for this physical material reality. So on a little more subtle level, there is a, an energetic uh, blueprint or pattern or vehicle. So we have the pranamaya kosha, and then we have the manomaya kosha, the mind. So the energy is flowing. This astral level of energy and blueprint is supported by ideas, concepts, a blueprint in the mind. And so in this way, we go through layer after layer of vehicles, bodies, down to the very most subtle, which is just pure awareness. And, and so... Uh, so in this process, we are purifying, cleansing, and allowing the free-flowing and the free-functioning of all levels of our being. And this is facilitated, is supported by our Kriya Pranayam, that is the, the specific breathing and uh, prana techniques, the, the, the procedure that we use. And it is also supported by working with the chakras the individual centers so as the as the prana comes into the system it's said to come in through the medulla and it comes in also through our breath so each time we take a breath we have oxygen and and um, and gases that come in that are supportive of our system but we also have energy life force that comes with the breath and each time we eat food, the food has prana. If we're eating good, healthy, um, organic, fresh food, then this food has life force. It has life in it. It has prana. And this helps to 
feed us and to move us. So, so we are supported with uh, pure energy coming into the system through just through our uh, medulla, through, uh, through the subtle anatomy, through our breath, and through our food. And this energy, this prana comes in, and then it moves through these various centers, the seven centers, Sahasrara, and the Ajna Chakra, and Vishuddha, and, and through these chakras, through these centers, and at each level there is a distribution of this prana that goes out and takes care of functions to keep us, uh, keep us well and keep us uh, engaged on a physical, on a material, on an energetic, on a mental, on all these different levels. So this is why it's recommended for us to, to work with the chakras and why Mr. Davis would, would teach us, uh, and this teaching came from Lahiri Mahashaya, but originally from, uh, I mean, originally from Lahiri Mahashaya three through Sri Yukteswar and Paramahansa Yogananda. And so this was a way of energizing and working with each one of these vital centers, these chakras, to become familiar with it, to know what it feels like, where it is, what it feels like, and with our attention and our feeling moving through that center to activate it, to enliven it, to empower it, so that it became, so that the, the prana was flowing fully through it without any impediment. So the bottom of the spine, the first chakra, the very base of the spine is called muladhara. And the muladhara is responsible for stability, structure. Uh, it's, it's responsible for building the bones and the solidity of our, of our system. So on a physiological level, um, muladhara is building structure, solidity. Uh, on a, on a, uh, operational level, um, it's responsible for uh, our senses and our perception and survival. So, so survival that is the sense of being and the and the need to have our food and our money and our shelter and all these things. These are all uh, driven and respond and um, handled by this muladhara, this this uh, base chakra. And so, and they say the color of the muladhara is red and it's associated with the earth element. So, um, so this is our structure, our base. And each one of these chakras actually is, um, is responsible for supporting the next chakra. So each one of these is very important to us and we build from one to the next to the next. And as we, uh, mature and as we awaken, we we operate primarily from uh, one chakra, and then we uh, add to that the energy and the and the processes at the next level and the next level. So, so we can look at our chakras also as kind of a natural stepping stone of growth and awareness and ability to interact and relate. So, so we are very grounded in survival and very much uh, aware of the things that we can see and touch and taste that our senses provide us with. This is what, where our attention and our awareness is. And then as we move up to the sacrum, this is the 
the smaller the back, uh, if you look in the mirror, you'll have two little dimples back there where the sacroiliac joint comes together. This is the sacral plexus. And so this is the center which is um, associated with the water element and it's responsible for muscles. So the muscular, uh, muscular system is associated with this second chakra. Um, and it's also um, uh, responsible for our sense of other. So when we're first born, when we're first little children, up until, you know, children are five or six years old, they only think about themselves. And if they look at somebody else, they assume that the other person is seeing and thinking and feeling exactly like they are. It's very difficult for a very small child to make this leap and to think what that other person must be thinking. So we come to the, to the second level and we start to be aware of others and start to be aware that others may not see things exactly like we do, that others may have a different feeling or a different experience or a different point of view. Um, the second, uh, second center, this Svadhisthana, is also responsible for emotions. So our feelings and emotions start to really come to play when we're here. So we move beyond just the survival level, and now we're having these feelings. This is also responsible, the center is responsible for reproduction and sexuality and sensuality. And so, so we move from uh, this grounded, structured survival level, and now we start to interact with others, and we start to uh, relate and see outside of ourselves. So, the, and the color associated with the second chakra is orange, and, and it kind of gives us a sense of our unique role, our unique place to be in the universe. So, uh, when, we're, when we're first at the, at the base center, we're just kind of, you know, hanging on and, and surviving. And when we start to move into the second center, not only do we get in touch with emotions, but we also start to feel I am and, and feel ourself to be unique and also separate. Um, so now we're looking around and seeing others and relating. And so this all comes from this, this uh, second chakra, Svadhisthana, uh, associated with the water element. <clears throat> And then we move on to the third center, which is the Manipura. And Manipura is up behind the navel. So if we just go a little bit up and behind the navel in the spine, uh, here this chakra is the center of fire. So this is the fire center. It's responsible for digestion. Um, it's said to be the center where Agni resides. Agni is the digestive fire, the strength of fire. This is the center of power. This is where our self-will, our ability to be goal-oriented. This is where the mind and the intellect come to play. This is the center of confidence, self-confidence. And so here we are starting to feel, we've moved from um, from just surviving, and now we have a sense I am, and I'm trying to express myself and be unique and see myself in relation to others, and now I'm becoming powerful. Now I'm starting to feel my power. I'm starting to set my goals. I'm starting to exercise my willpower. I'm starting to accomplish things and becoming confident, and so this is the, this is the, 
the Manipura. So here we are at the, and this uh, center is said to be associated with the color yellow. And so we move from, from this self-will, intellect, um, using the mind, self-confidence, and we move to the next level, which is the, the heart center, anatta. And the anatta center is between the shoulder blades and the spine again. And this is associated with air element. And the air element here is uh, responsible in the body for, uh, for the heart and the lungs, the lower part of the lungs and the immune system. So all this is related to this heart, what we call the heart center. And this is the point where we start to become open and start to, to develop compassion and start to really feel what others are feeling and have the intention to uh, be supportive and to love and to be loving and to be in relationship. So we move from self-will and power and, and self-confidence and now we find this, this opening and we start to feel connected connected with others, connected with the environment, connected with life. And so we really have this uh, development of compassion here. Um, and the Anatta Chakra is uh, related to the movement, the circulation of prana in the circulatory system. So, so this is the life force, the prana. So this is a, a really kind of a juicy place. And this is a place where uh, it is said to be the door to the inner worlds. This is the beginning of our spiritual awakening process as we move from um, from the center of will and, and uh, intellect and I'm in control and I'm running the system and I'm in power here. And now here we move into this place where we start to become open. So this is said to be the, cent the, the opening, the doorway to the inner reality, to the inner world. So, and it's interesting, um, these days, if you ask somebody, you know, kind of like, where are you? Where are you located in your body? And most people these days will point to their head. I'm, I'm here. You know, this is where I, this is the center of my being, my awareness. It's all up in the head. Um, but this is relatively new. This is... Uh, sort of the advent of ever since the scientific revolution and we started to become more uh, intellectual, rational, you know, judging and critical. And, uh, and so this scientific intellectual process has led the individuals to be much more head oriented than heart oriented. But before that, before the 17th century, 16th century, if you ask someone, where are you? They would point here. This is, this is my center of being. This is where I am. This is what I am. And so, so, and we have a very strong, strong connection between the heart and the brain and this vagus nerve that goes through our internal organs and runs up here. But there is, there is uh, a large portion of the brain that resides in the heart and in the gut. So, so the heart is actually an organ that is putting out hormones. Um, 
you know, adjusting hormones, uh, controlling what's happening with the body, listening to what's happening with the body and making adjustments. So it has projections in the nervous system that come from the lungs and the liver and the kidneys and the, the uh, colon and digestive system and the stomach. So all these are feeding information into the heart and the heart brain is making adjustments to how much blood pressure, how much uh, circulation, how fast do I need to be. So there, and, and also pumping out hormones and enzymes. And so there is this interactive relationship and the heart has a very big role to play in maintaining our balance, our integrity, our interceptive networks. And so, and so this is a, a, you know, quite, a, quite a strong and remarkable place. And then we move from there to Vishuddha, and this is the, the throat center. And here we are, um, the, I'm sorry, the heart center is related to the air element and the color is green. And then we move to Vishuddha, and Vishuddha is um, in the throat center. This is uh, associated with the ether element, color is blue. And here, this is responsible for communication and for discernment, for being able to see the difference between what's real and what's not real, and for our creative expression. <coughs> creative expression. And so, and it's, this center is also responsible for our respiration. So, so breathing and respiration, while the anatta chakra is responsible for the lower lungs, the throat chakra is responsible for respiration and associated with the thyroid gland. And when we activate this chakra, um, we find that we're able to surrender, to, to surrender to this larger process, to surrender to ultimate reality. So communication, discernment, and the ability to begin to let go and to surrender at the same time that we're actively creating and expressing. So this is the... This is the throat chakra. And then we move up to the Ajna chakra, the third eye center, this area between the, between the eyebrows up here, the frontal lobes of the brain. This is all related to this, this chakra. And it is said that the Ajna chakra is uh, related to the function of the eyes and the pineal gland. And this is, uh, the color of this is, is uh, indigo. And here we experience awakening. This is the center for uh, our witness consciousness, the observer consciousness. And so, and this is where our imagination um, dawns, where imagination comes to play and where our intuition resides. So our intuition, knowing by knowing, knowing by just asking ourselves the question and the answer comes. I remember uh, years ago, I used to think, you know, you work a crossword puzzle and you have that word that you just can't figure out. You just don't, you just don't know quite what the four-letter word for a closet is. And, and you think about it and you think about it and you struggle. And, and then finally you get up and go have a cup of coffee and you come back. And on the way back, it's like it pops into your head. It just pops in. And I used to ask myself, where do those words come from? Where do those answers come from? We have a big problem, a big challenge, something that we can't quite wrap our head around, and we go to sleep, 
we wake up in the morning and it's aha it's there it's just full-blown so this intuition this knowing by knowing is accessing this deeper level of awareness of consciousness that is innate to us and this is this is facilitated by the third eye center by this uh, ajna chakra and then finally we have the crown chakra at the top of the head and here the crown chakra is associated with transcendence um, it's also associated with the nervous system on a on a practical on a material level but um, this is where we uh, come into attunement with infinite potential with unbounded awareness with unlimited conscious awareness and so this is our this is our center that is said to be the top of the head and maybe just a little beyond we can actually feel experience ourselves in our more subtle vehicles and be very aware of this sensation of energy this feeling this chakra at the very top of the head and by putting our attention there and moving with it we find that we just have this beautiful opening this beautiful awareness that comes um, so so these are the these are the vital centers and it's useful for us to have a relationship with them to understand them and to um and to kind of relate to them in a little bit you know study them a little bit and also it is said that <clears throat> it's said that three of these chakras uh, can create a little impediment, a little obstacle to our spiritual awakening process. They're called knots. And so we have these kind of places where the energy gets tied up and it doesn't move so freely, which is a good reason for us to chant Om and try to feel ourselves at these centers and to work with moving the energy, feeling the prana moving up and down the spine to help um untie these knots to help release the places where the energy is stuck a little bit and so the first of these knots is said to be at the base chakra and here where we're normally attuned you know attached to nature and, and this attachment to nature can be um <clears throat> can be an obstacle can be a knot we can be attached to material objects to, we can be attached to sense pleasure we can be attached to um, goals that are driven from our ego so <clears throat> i need to do this i need to accomplish this and these attachments um, keep our attention flowing outward they keep us keep the mind restless they keep us a little off center and they interfere with our ability to concentrate and so this so this is the the knot that's at the root center at the muladhara and we can <clears throat> we can work on releasing this allowing get, getting rid of moving through this knot breaking this knot and moving through this and allowing the prana to flow freely by meditating on a regular basis that is to super conscious meditation um, focusing attention and allowing ourselves to come above normal consciousness so normal consciousness roy would say again and again normal consciousness is blurred fragmented distracted so focused awareness when we can focus our attention and keep our attention focused this this moves us into this point place of being super above or beyond 
normal waking states of consciousness and we come into the place where we're able to keep our attention focused flowing to one point to one object and in our meditation we can use a, a meditation object like watching the breath or listening to a mantra resting in om any of these to flow our attention to and if our attention continues to flow without fluctuating this becomes super conscious and so super conscious meditation can help move us through this muladhara through this knot this root knot and then the other thing that helps on the external is to be dispassionate to observe what's happening without reacting to observe the circumstances the events the conditions that are going on around us in the world and in our life without becoming put off of our center without losing our grounding um, and so we can use this for our um, experiences for the circumstances and events in our life in our relationships we can just develop this little dispassionate where we are the observer the witness and we are fully engaged but at the same time we are not reacting to what's happening so this can help move through this first knot the second knot is at the heart center the fourth chakra and here the knot is attachment to sentimental feelings and emotions um, so we have the sentimental thoughts and we're we become you know sort of um, a little squishy inside is the way roy used to say it we get a little squishy we become over emotional and uh, and we have this urge almost a compulsion to perform good deeds and to help out and so of course you know it's wonderful to be serving and to help um, but when we have this really this impulse this compulsion to be out serving and helping and always looking for some other way to be out there in the world and allowing our emotional nature and our compa compassion and our sentiments um, to sort of override our reason so so we can move through this heart uh, knot through this uh, restriction of prana in the in the subtle realm in the subtle uh, anatomy um, by practicing selfless service by, by doing things that are completely selfless and the ideal is if we can provide a service and nobody even knows that we're doing it there is no ego benefit that, as a result of this where we can serve without looking for the results or looking for any payoff or looking for any benefit we just serve because we can serve so this is really selfless service um, and then letting go of this ego the sense of separation to really allow this opening of the heart to allow us to feel and experience that we are one with everything we are one with ultimate reality we're one with the environment we're one with society we're one with the individuals around us there is no separation so to purify the ego and to let go of the sense of separation this can help to open our heart chakra and to and then to as we're meditating to allow ourselves to be open to awaken to more subtle refined states of consciousness 
So as we as we become deeper and more grounded in our meditation practice, as we open up and awaken in our meditation practice, then the tendency to be attached to this to these emotional thoughts and feelings and this compulsion to go out and be always doing something, doing something for the good of everybody else, um, this can help come into more balance. And then finally, the third knot is said to be at the Ajna Chakra, at the third eye center. And here we, we the, the knot, the, the obstacle becomes one of attachment to subtle perception, uh, attachment to exceptional abilities. So, so as we meditate, as we develop our, uh, our ability to be conscious and our uh, self-power and our uh, uh, self-confidence, and as we you know, move through this opening process, we begin to possibly experience subtle perceptions, internal perceptions. We may see lights or hear more sounds, interesting sounds, or see, you know, radiant, dazzling light up in the in the crown chakra, or have perceptions in inner space of uh, individuals, you know, advanced beings, other spaces. Um, you know, there's some pretty remarkable things that are available in in consciousness and the mind and consciousness, and especially in the astral level, and so. So we can become kind of attached to these things. Uh, we feel ecstasy. We feel, you know, we sit and meditate and we practice our pranayama and then we just become blissed out. And, ah, oh, it's so wonderful. And so be, we can be attached to these perceptions and these experiences. And that's also something that can hold us back. So, and I remember uh, Roy talking about one time when he was with Paramahansa Yogananda and uh, and they were walking at his uh, retreat out of 29 Palms. And Roy said, this, this thought just popped into my head. And I asked Yogananda, I said, you know, all the masters and these great uh, yogis that you talk about in the autobiography of a yogi, how many of them are fully liberated? How many of them have experienced ultimate reality and liberation of consciousness? And he said, Yogananda didn't even stop for a moment to think about it. He just said, oh, not many. Most saints are, are happy, they're content to rest in the bliss of soul awareness, to rest in God communion, and not to go the rest of the way, not to make that, that final effort. But, and, then he, and then Yogananda said to Roy, he says, but you go all the way. You, you must do that. And so, and so this is this, this kind of this final place where we can get hung up, where we can get trapped, and that is to be trapped in this wonderful experience of bliss and light and, um, and good feeling and internal perception. And so, <coughs> excuse me. And so the way we move past this knot, the way we break this knot, move through this, is to contemplate the pure essence of ultimate reality. <coughs> to uh, to not settle for anything short of pure existence being. Pure consciousness has no object, has no experience, has no expression. There is nothing to perceive, nothing to feel. We rest in just in awareness. And of course, we can't describe this because it's beyond our ability to describe, beyond concept, beyond 
mind. But we can set the stage and we can aspire to this and we can have this experience. So we, the, the more we are able to move beyond the sensations and perceptions, whatever they may be, to this experience of pure awareness, um, then we help to move to break this knot and to uh, remove this last final obstacle or impediment to full self-realization. And some individuals don't have a lot of inner perceptions. Um, Yogananda had one of his very advanced disciples, very advanced students who on her deathbed, um, he said, what can I do for you? Anything, just tell me what I can do. And she said, oh, master, I've, I've always wanted to be able to see the inner lights and I've never seen this after years and years of trying. And he said, you're so, you're so far beyond that. Um, you don't need that, you know. Um, so, so we don't always need to have these inner perceptions and these inner, uh, you know, these pictures and experiences. They're wonderful if they happen, and we look at them and have them, and then let them go and move on. And if they're not happening, then we may think, well, maybe this is a blessing because I'm not getting stuck at this place, you know. And so, and so. So this is a, this is the, the chakras. So they're all have vital functions. They're responsible for keeping the system working on a physical level, on a subtle energetic level with the prana, on the level of the mind and the blueprint uh, that keeps all this together, and the level of discernment and in the level of consciousness. So, so it's worth our time to work with the chakras, work with this subtle energy. Um, to chant Om through the chakras, to practice our Kriya Pranayama and move the energy up and down through the spine, through the subtle pathways, and in this way to help refine the system. Physically, it encourages health and well-being, balance. Um, energetically, it brings us into harmony. And then in consciousness, it supports the, the structure and the system through which consciousness needs to express.